Valerie's my mother's name. Rush is for white suburban boys. Anybody remember cassettes? My tumor was the Beyonce of uterine fibroids. This is the soundtrack series. The soundtrack series. The soundtrack series. Hey there, this is the Soundtrack Series, stories about songs, the soundtrack to our lives, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Dana Rossi. We'll get right to it. Today on the show... I might be uh, the oldest man in America. That's still working. Okay, first, some context. Today's episode is an interview with the legendary composer, musician, and pianist Irving Fields, who just turned 100 years old and is still gigging. He still plays three times a week at the Park Lane Hotel here in New York, and he said he thinks he's the oldest working piano player in the country, and I think if there were someone older, we would know about it. So I guess something Irving and I have in common is that he is a professional piano player and has been playing for nearly a century, and I once tried to play piano Uh, But probably not hard, I guess. I don't know. I wanted to play piano, but I didn't want to put in any of the work necessary. I did not want to practice. I hated practicing because you had all your books at the different levels, the magenta book and then the green book and the blue book and the orange book. And it had songs in it that were just finger exercises, but they tried to pass them off as songs and they had titles like jumping. And then and it, it is, it's just a scale exercise, but they actually bother to print lyrics to it like jumping up, jumping down, jumping up and down. But I still wanted to be good. So I used to fantasize that what happened was I fell down a set of basement stairs. And then when I woke up, I was just suddenly gifted with a prodigious ability to play piano. And it was that easy. But it never happened, of course. I I did play piano in the fifth grade talent show. And I played the theme from Star Wars while wearing a Spock sweater because my father made me which confused slash enraged everyone who saw it. So, all right, piano was not meant for me. And I think for some people it was meant to be, like Irving, playing piano for, like I said, almost 100 years now. And you know what, though? He didn't like to practice either. So there's another thing we have in common. All of his siblings played piano when he was a kid, and he was the only one who did not like to practice. I mean, I know why I didn't like it. So I had to ask him why he didn't like it. Well, it was boring playing scales. There's no melody. No melody. But thank God I did it. And I did it thoroughly every day because it gave me my technique. So all the pyrotechnics I do on the piano, like lightning. If I didn't practice the scales, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I'm glad I did it. And I began to love music. See? Scales! Disguised as songs with stupid titles and lyrics, not fun. But he stuck with it, and as a young man, now he had to find gigs, playing piano. And I was so curious, as someone who was out in the world finding gigs in the late 1920s, early 30s, how did that go? How did you get a gig back then? With no internet, no demo tapes, no following strangers on Twitter so they follow your band back. How do you do it? Well, it turns out his method was a lot simpler and a lot ballsier than any of that. Well, I'll tell you one incident that happened to me. I'll never forget it because I met one of the greatest pianists in the world in my estimation. 
62nd Street. No, no, not 62nd Street, well, 52nd Street, from 6th Avenue to 5th Avenue. On both sides of the street were little nightclubs. Would you believe maybe 2030 on one side of the street and 2030 on the other side, right next to each other? And every little club had a piano player or some kind of entertainment. It was where everybody went for entertainment, nightclubs. Well, I just got out of high school and I was looking for a job. So I said, I'm going to go to 62nd Street and see if there's anything available. I'll sit down and play the piano. Maybe somebody will hear me. Maybe the owner will be there. I'll take a chance. So I went there and I went into, I think it was called the famous store, little nightclub. I walked in, I see an upright piano on a stand, nobody playing. A piano, nobody's playing. I went in there, I sat down on the piano, and I played. Maybe the owner will hear me, or somebody at the bar will hear me. And I'm playing, I'm playing, and suddenly I feel a tremendous hand, like a giant's hand on my shoulder, and a voice that said, Oh, I like the way you play, kid, but I'm working here, and I got to go to work. I look up, man, about six foot two, six foot three. I get out of that chair right away. But I'm very curious. I want to hear him see how he plays. So I sat down in the chair, and he started to play. When he started to play, I wanted to give up playing the piano. God, I never heard technique and arrangements of whatever he played. He was unbelievable, unbelievable, fantastic. You know who it was? Art Tatum. In my estimation, the greatest jazz player in the world. Nobody plays like him. He butted in on Art Tatum. How great is that? Art Tatum, by the way, I was reading about him. So Fats Waller, the story goes, Fats Waller was playing in a club one night, and Art Tatum just walked in to the club, not expecting anything. And Fats Waller jumped off the piano and just made way for Tatum, saying, I just play piano, but God is in the house. That's who Irving butted in on. But fine, it didn't not work. So he's a young guy, and he gets his first gig, and it's a wedding gig. A lot of people start like that. There's only one problem. There was a neighbor next to me who uh, was having uh, a wedding for his daughter. He knew I played the piano. I was living in Brooklyn at that time. And he said, look, uh, I understand you got a little band. Yeah, I got a, I got a band. I got a band. He said, uh, boy, my daughter's getting married, and I could you play for the wedding? I said, sure. I never worked anywhere. I got my little four or five-piece band together, and uh, we played. We only knew five, six songs, and we repeated the songs over and over and over again. The people got so drunk, they didn't know the difference. They didn't know the difference, and they kept on dancing and dancing. They said, the music is great, the music is great. And I think we got $4 each and a dollar tip for each of the guys. So we made uh, five bucks each. It must have been around in the 20s. I can't give you anything but love. And those were the popular songs. Some of these days, you're going to miss me, honey. And... Uh, 
uh, Irving Berlin songs, you know, Alexander's Ragtime Band. And uh, oh, we knew the winning march. That was so easy to play. And uh, one more song, I think it was Stardust. So that's what I want. Some of these days, you miss me, honey. As a young man, Irving went to Havana, which turned out to be the most influential trip of his musical career because it was in Havana where he discovered Latin music, which is the style that he'd become famous for, which eventually led him to writing his biggest hit. Well, I uh, played on a cruise ship that went to Havana when it was wide open years ago. And uh, when I heard a Latin band... I got goosebumps. I love the beat, the rhythm, and uh, of course the dancing, and I brought it back to New York. And I featured a lot of Latin music, authentic, as I heard it in Havana. Everybody came to hear me play at a place called the Crest Room mm -hmm. in New York City. It was a very swank place. The man who owned it owned steak factory, uh, steak companies and all that. So Xavier uh, Kukat comes in. Mm -hmm. And he comes over to me while he's dancing with Abby Lane, who he was going with. And she wanted a job as singer with my trio. I says, I can't do it because the boss's wife sings. I had to hire her. And she was good, too. Well, anyway, Cougat comes over to me while I'm playing at the piano. He starts speaking in Spanish. I says, I am honored, Mr. Cougat, that you're here. But I'm an American. I'm from Manhattan. I'm a Latin from Manhattan. And uh, he says, I would like you to join my orchestra, to have two pianos and feature you doing all the fancy work. I says, I would love to, but I just signed a contract with RCA Victor, and I have a song now that looks like it's going to be a big hit. And it was the Miami Beach Rumba, and it became an international hit. My trio here were, were becoming very successful mm -hmm. with the Miami Beach Room. Everybody was playing it. And the Crest Room, uh, this was in 1946 when they got out of the Army. So it was very successful. And everybody's going there. Ava Gardner came there, took off her shoes to dance the rumba, and gave me a kiss on the cheek, smiling. When I became famous, I played all the Las Vegas hotels. Mm -hmm. And uh, I opened, the first hotel was Myolansky's Hotel, the Thunderbird Hotel in Vegas. I, it's still there. And who comes in, and I was doing an act, not lounge music, an act. Who comes in? Ava Gardner and Frank Sinatra, sitting right next to me. Here, I'm playing the piano, right next to me, Ava Gardner, Sinatra. And she goes... Hello. <laughs> she remembered me. And Frank Sinatra gave me a, a weird look. I said to myself, I hope I don't find a horse's head in my bed. <laughs> but then he was, he heard me play and he was smiling. And she was talking to him, explaining that uh, I, I played in the Crest Room years ago. And she remem remembered me. Wow, those were the days. Yes. <laughs> So Irving's a hot ticket at this point, and he's getting offers left and right. 
So one offer comes along that he has to turn down, but that eventually means a huge break for another young pianist. I was playing the Sahara Hotel or the Sands Hotel or the Flamingo, one of the hotels. I think maybe it was Caesar, oh, maybe Caesar's Palace. I played them all in Vegas. And the man approached me after my show and said, uh, I'd like to hire you to do a television show in uh, California. WKAT, I think it was, in California. You will have five days to do program, a half hour each program for five days. I love what you do and uh, whatever you need to make you happy, I'll give you. And he started telling me that he'll give me an apartment without any charge. He'll give me a car without any charge. He'll give me a salary, whatever I desire. He says, you'll be very happy here, and anything you need, just call me. I said, thank you so much. I, I cannot accept. I'll tell you the reasons why. I just got married. I just made a deal with an apartment for, on the lease. My wife is pregnant. I cannot leave. It's the worst time for me to leave. So he said, no, I, I need an answer now. I'm so sorry you can't take it. But uh, if you can't take it, somebody call me. Some agent says, well, there's a piano player that he wants me to hear. He's got a crazy name. Libre-A-C-E or something. L-I-B-E-R-A-C-E. I don't know how they pronounce the name. I'll hear this guy. See if he's good, but I'm so sorry you can't take it. And that was the beginning of Liberace's television program. Now, I became very friendly with Liberace, and he says, call me Lee. And he was very friendly, and every time I went to see one of his concerts, he uh, called me out the, uh, from the audience and says, there's the man that got me my first job, Irving Fields. A date in Ohio, I remember, one night, uh, I was playing 12 midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning. The place was jumping all hours up to 3 o'clock in the morning. And I, my session was 12 midnight to 3 a.m. What a crazy job. But it was a good pay, and it was a top club in Dayton, Ohio. At that same time of the date, at the day, Liberace's doing a concert in their, their symphony hall in Dayton. And he got through at 12 midnight, and at 1.30, who comes in? Liberace, and he was very friendly, and he's very funny. He's got a good sense of humor. So uh, the newspapers carried the story, and uh, he tells people for one for Irving Fields. I don't know if I'd, I'd be, I'd be well known. And I was there, and it worked out successfully. After years of playing all around the world, on television, for millions of people, Irving still plays a regular gig. He plays three days a week at the Park Lane Hotel here in New York. But as for how he started playing there, it was probably the most threatening invitation he has ever received, I would hope. Well, I was there 11 years ago. Uh, Mrs. Hemsley owned it, and she was 
very, very nice to me. And uh, when I first went there for lunch, uh, I didn't know her. Mm -hmm. I went there for lunch, and uh, she was sitting at a table near me. She comes over to me. She says, aren't you Irving Fields? I said, yes. He says, well, I heard you at the plaza. I love your music. At that time, the plaza dismissed all the music. They became condos, uh, and uh, so I was out of a job. So uh, I called her. I said, uh, I could be available. She said, you come over right now, and I'll break your fingers if you don't, if, <laughs> if you don't sign a contract with me. Come over. We'll set up a contract immediately. And I was there three years, and I'm back there again. And it's uh, the piano, grand piano, is in the center of this magnificent room, the park room of the Park Lane Hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's like giving a Carnegie Hall concert in a restaurant, the most beautiful restaurant in New York City. But it's a secret. Nobody knows about it. But now they have to publicize. If they hear that the uh, Park Lane restaurant is open, all my fans will come there, and I'm making new fans. And not only people in the 70s and 80s, but the young people love my music. I play the things that Billy Joel wrote. The, I can play the uh, Broadway shows. I do concerts uh, of uh, classical music. I do every kind of music. You name it, and I'll play it. Any Broadway show, music from any country. Irving does take requests, and so I had to know what his free bird was. So I asked him, but, you know, leaving free bird out of it. I wish I wrote it. New York, New York. Mm. Damn! That's what I was going to ask him to play. No, I'm kidding. I think I'd rather hear him play by Mirabiz Duchesne. about people who play piano at the center of a room full of people because as they play they must watch the crowd and they get to observe in a way that no one else gets to so i had to know in all his years of viewing the world from behind the piano what is hands down the most bananas thing he has ever seen i don't know if you can use this or not let's give it a shot but i was playing a very romantic song and I see a couple in the back, and then I don't see them. What happened to them? They're under the table. They're having the lunch, but it's not food they're eating. And I kept playing that romantic song for a long time. Then I stopped, and I said, I got to see what's, what they're doing. I just got to see it. And I sort of tried very slowly to sneak over to the table, and I look underneath. You know what I saw? Oh, what? They both fell asleep, she in his arms. And they fell asleep, they got so drunk, they couldn't get up. Do you get the picture of what I said? Oh, absolutely. But I'm, my music got so romantic, start making it. Another bride, another June, another sunny honeymoon, another season. Another reason for making whoopee. 
Okay, I did ask, but he couldn't remember the name of the song that he was playing for that. So that right there was just me being cute. Someone who knows music like this, who has lived music for nearly an entire century, that is an opinion on music that I want to hear. So I asked him, is music not as good as it used to be? Because whenever you get to witness the exact moment someone gets old as the words, music isn't as good as it used to be, comes flying out of their mouths. Oh, I love that. So I had to know if it's true from someone who has seen music generations turn over and over for as long as he has. Is there truth to that statement in his estimation? Is music not as good as it used to be, or is it just constantly evolving? It was more romantic, more memorable to remember the beautiful melodies. The, the melodies today are really not easy to remember, and they don't do anything really to me. And the lyrics, uh, that's another thing. Uh, they don't have any more Jerome Kearns, uh, uh, Hoagie Carmichael, Irving Berlin, Cole Porter, Duke Ellington, all the great uh, composers and lyric writers, Richard Rogers, Hammerstein. It's a different world. There's one singer, he sings the high notes. Michael Bublé? What? Is it Michael Bublé? No, he's a copy of uh, Sinatra. Keep on going. Michael Feinstein? I love Michael Feinstein. He's got a wonderful voice, and he's very talented. He sent me a letter. He says, I'm, he says I remember you, and I looked up to you, and I know all your, uh, the records you made, the songs you wrote, and he, he's a wonderful person. I'm not sure who you would mean. High voice, hits all the high notes. If you say it, I will remember. I know, yeah. Josh Groban? That's it! Hey! <laughs> now he has a beautiful voice and uh, a little bit like Mary Alanza. But oh. Mary Alanza is one of a kind. Nobody likes him. Okay, so full disclosure, we do not agree on that point. It's funny, in the interview, the way I asked the question, I think he thought I was making that statement. Music's not as good as it used to be. And then he was agreeing with me. But you know what? I'll leave it open because let's look at it this way. I'm, I'm not even 40 yet. So maybe in 60 years, I will change my mind. Maybe in 60, whatever years, music will just be car alarms and wet suction noises. And I will say definitively, yes, music is not as good as it used to be. Maybe. It could happen. I'll let you know when I'm 100. Irving Fields is a legend, and I knew that getting the chance to sit and chat with him was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. Someone who has lived music completely and has done so for longer and more than anyone else, I couldn't believe I was actually getting to talk to that person. Fun side story, when I was at his apartment talking with him, his agent manager dropped by and as he was leaving, Irving said to him something along the lines of, oh, I want to be in that meeting you have with so-and-so. And my mind went boom, because there was something about that, about a guy who, at 100 years old, is not only still playing, but is still thinking about what's next in his career and in his life, the future of his music. He's going to live forever, one way or another, in his own words. I am a pianist. I'm a composer. I'm a songwriter, I'm a publisher of music, I'm a vocal coach, 
I could be a psychiatrist, I could be a philosopher, I could be a comedian, and I love what I do. That's what keeps me going. I'm unstoppable. This has been the Soundtrack Series, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Thanks for listening.